If you're wondering which passage to look for, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through to verse 30. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through to verse 30. We're in part 5, and the rest of the parts, 1, 2, 3, 4, should be on the internet, our, our website, or on the app. One of those options are always there. Okay? Let's begin. Every person God used to write the Bible, every person God used to write the Bible, were people just like you and me, working at different jobs. They went to work every day. They put on uniforms, some of them. They put on ties and badges, and they went to work. Some of them were kings, some were fishermen, some of them were tent makers. But they had jobs, and they had job mates, they had relationships at work, and they had job dreams, and they had work, and they wrote about some of those ways that God worked in their lives. And Today we're going to pick up some of those principles about our workplace, about the job, about the career, about relationships at the career, at our career place, and uh, we're going to try and uh, leave here with some wisdom for that. Okay? Are you with me? We'll read through the passage of scripture so we get a bigger picture, and then we'll dive back in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through to verse 30. I hope in the Lord... Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. He longs for all of you and is distressed because of you, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, not only him, also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord and with great joy. Honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Some of you have jobs that are a daily drain on your joy. Not all of you, some. Some of you have jobs that are a daily drain. It's a, it's a drudgery getting up to work and Monday mornings. Drag yourself to work. And it's usually not the job. Most of us like the work part of it. Um, it's the people. If only there were no people at our workplace. And usually it's not all the people. It's usually just one or two. But you don't have authority to fire <laughs> and it's usually that when you enter into the office they're the first ones there and it kind of ruins your whole day and it boils down to relationships relationships at work relationships at work can i find joy in my work can i find joy in my work relationships can i find joy in my career you better take this seriously because the bulk of your week is spent at work 
Some of you 40, 50, 60 hours, 80 hours a week. Your wife is telling you, just sleep there. Don't, don't bother coming home. Your mother's telling you, you think this is a hotel? We're spending so much time at the work. It's, it's, it's very serious. We take it very seriously. But no matter what the situation is back at work, even if not one thing changes, we're going to talk today about some things that can make a difference. It can inject joy. See, I was, taking, I was talking about joy, and I'm saying that God wants to infuse, inject, release joy into your life in different and from different ways, different areas. One of the big areas through which he wants to do that is your work, because that's one of the big areas of your life. And he wants you to be joyful in your work. He wants, to, wants you to experience joy in your work. Let's talk about Paul. We're going to talk about Paul and two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Say that. Yeah. Most people think that Paul worked alone. You know, he's on a ghora from city to city, town to town. He's just trudging his way through places and then he's doing his church planting thing and then he's wearing a long, you know, gown of some sort, dirty, standing on the side of streets and preaching, then he's in and out of prison, and you know, a very sad view of you know, those, in, those type of people in full-time ministry. But this man was a powerful leader, and he pulled around him an awesome dream team, and the competence levels could match any corporate or government sector of the day. And that was Roman government sector, not like this. And in the relationships, you'll see how he hits that excellence. People think he worked alone, but he worked with a lot of people during his time, like Barnabas, Luke, Silas, Titus, Eodii, Syntyche, Lydia. Lydia was a person who helped with the Philippi church. Tychicus, Aquila, Priscilla, that's uh, husband and wife. And these last two, Aquila, Priscilla, not only worked with Paul in the ministry, but they also had a business with Paul, the tent-making business. You see it in Acts chapter uh, 18, verse 2 and 3. Read it there. There he met a, a Jew named Aquila, so that's the guy, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed with them, because same business, and worked with them. He worked with them. So Paul actually got into the local business along with people who were like-minded, do not be unequally yoked. And then along with that, he also did some of the ministry there in that town, Aquila and Priscilla. So we got awesome uh, examples of how Paul had relationships both at work and also at ministry, work and ministry. Today, we're going to get to know two men that worked alongside Paul, the Apostle Paul and his team. And in this day of high performance, teams, high performance output, you'll find that these guys matched it. They matched it. As we look together at a man named Timothy, a young pastor, and Epaphroditus, a young layman, we're going to find out some ways that God not only worked in their lives, but he also works in ours. A lot of, a lot of us teach, uh, we give the word or the name Timothy to our children. A lot of Timothys, but not so many takers for... Uh, I, would, I would suggest that. He's a great guy. And it will make the baby dedication all the more... Exciting. I mean, remember three kids getting 
dedicated in your kid is Epaphroditus. That's going to stick. So do that. How, how, do you, how do you have joy at work? How can you make the main part of your life, which is your work, a significant part of your life, which is work, a joyous place in your life? You don't have to wait for a transfer. God can transform some incredible things to make it great for you. Let me give you five ways from this passage. It's a simple passage. Paul's just giving two recommendations for Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he's giving two recommendations. It's in the recommendation we see the working relationship. It's in that we see how, uh, how Paul was able to lift these guys up. And then, of course, how they related with him. Five ways to enjoy your work. Number one, take a genuine interest in others. Take a genuine interest in others. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Look at verse 20. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Okay, verse 21. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I want you to note this. Do a little study. You got two two sentences, one on top of the other. He says, I have nobody like Timothy. This guy, he constantly has a heart for the interests of others and for the interests of Jesus Christ. But I want you to put those together. He says, no one like him because he constantly seeks your welfare. He has your interests in mind. Most people look out for their own interests, but this guy looks out for the interests of Jesus Christ. So almost like he's using those two as synonyms. To have the interests of others in mind and to have the interests of Jesus Christ is almost the same thing. Because Jesus has interests there. Jesus has interests there. To be genuinely interested in the interest of others, this is not where you stop. You have to understand that as a child of God and as a follower of the Lord Jesus, one who seeks to live the life of Christ because your life has been crucified on the cross, you want to be dedicated to Christ's interest in others. Did you get that? It's not just you're taking an interest in others, but you're saying Christ has interests at your workplace, in the life of your colleagues, with the people you work for. God has interests at your workplace, in your career. He wants to do something over there. He has agendas over there. And to be dedicated to the interests of others is to be dedicated to the interests of Christ. Take a genuine interest in others. There's two addresses we live in, two places we live in, we find our life. Either we're in 221 or we're in 121. You just want me to tell you, right? You're not going to look at your Bible. Come on! (laughs) This is what they call spoon feeding. I'm not going to spoon feed you. 221. What we just read. For most people don't look for the interests of... Everyone looks out for his own interests, not for the interests of Christ Jesus. 121. For me to live is Christ. You can't do both. You cannot do both. Either you're here or you're there. Number one, take a genuine interest in others. Number two, let's move on. Number two, associate with the experts. Associate with the experts. My friends, brothers, sisters, everyone else, 
you work happier when you work with someone who knows what he's doing. You work happier when you work with someone who knows what he's doing. In the office, you have the competent people and the others. You have the people who really make it happen. They're doing the hard work. They're the ones, they're the two out of the five team. They're really putting all the hard work. And you could hang out with the leaders. You could hang out the, with the ones who are good at what they do. They've been doing it for years. And you just stay with them and stick with them and watch. You're not in the, in the, in the, um, in the competition game. You're not in the game to get the next project or to get to the next rung or get the next promotion. You're not constantly thinking about your own interests. You want to learn. You want to, be, uh, you want to be skilled. So you hang out with the experts. Or you could be at the water cooler or in the, in the break place hanging out with the ones who, if you went to their desk, mostly have monster.com on their desktops. And they're putting in their applications to everyone in Sunday. Headhunters are not looking for them because they don't need them. You hang out with those people and you're constantly looking at work and your career from a very bleak perspective. You hang out with the guys who know what they're doing and you get sharpened. You get uh, two things. You get prepared and you get proven. You get prepared and you get proven. Two vital needs that are met when you hang out with the experts. Number one, you prepare yourself when you work with experts. Timothy certainly didn't know when he was hanging out with Paul that sooner or later he's going to be the, the pastor of the Ephesian church. The pastor of the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus. That's an amazing church. To this day, we are still reading about it. We're still studying about Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. You know which letter that is? Yes. Ephesians. And he didn't know that with every walk, with every conversation, with every car ride, with every long uh, discussion, with every moment and day off that he was spending time with Paul, he was being prepared for something great. He was being prepared for a ministry ahead. And as he hung out with experts, he was being prepared. As he hung out with somebody who knew his game, he was being prepared. What does God want you to do tomorrow? What does God want you to do two years from now or five years from now or ten years? What does God have planned for you? Here's the answer. You don't know. You don't know. So God's not going to give you a plan. God's going to give you a preparation. You need to be prepared for what God would have you do. It's very easy to have a plan, but then the plan would change. And then you'd be constantly disappointed because God has changed the plans or what you thought was God's plans didn't quite work out. So leave the plans alone, focus on being prepared, being a person who's sharp, being a person who's ready, being a person who's tuned, and you're constantly ready. And that happens when you hang out with the ones who's, who are seasoned at that, who are seasoned. That leads us to the second thing. When you do that, you're not only prepared, but you're also proven. You're also proven. Look in verse 22. 22, Paul says of Timothy, Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, almost like a father handing over the, the skill of the family business to his son, in that sense, a father-son relationship, he has proven himself by just being with me and serving with me in the work of the gospel. That is something that is 
missing immensely in our generation today. My generation, the next generation, it's immensely missing. Today we want to hang out with the experts. Today we want to be the experts. You come straight out of master's degree and they've already got consultant on their, on their business card. What? When did you become a consultant? What, did you not get a job? So you became a consultant. So today, those words have become big. Very quickly, we want to become a consultant, a trainer. You know, and those, those kind of the words that are floating around. Very quickly, we want to get to the top. We're living in an age where companies now have 35-year-olds, 36-year-olds as CEOs. That's not morally, morally wrong, but there's something deeply wrong about that. Because you're putting the lives of so many people and their children and their families, you're putting business and money in the hands of inexperienced people who have not proven themselves. People who have not sat under the shadow, worked under the shadow of experts. They want to be called experts before they can prove themselves. And he says you want to find joy in your, in your work, hang out with the experts so that you know what it's like to be proven. You once firstly get prepared, but you also get proven over period. And for him to say, for Paul to say, Timothy as a son with his father has worked with me and has proven himself. I can therefore set him free, give him the Ephesus church. Some people want to become an expert without proving themselves, without having to serve with somebody. You never become an expert if you've never served with somebody. You never become an expert if you haven't served with somebody. Today, education has taken greater um, value and has got a greater opinion than good old work experience. And today we have companies and hundreds and thousands of people in the hands of young, inexperienced leaders whose names are on headhunters lists and they are jumping from company to company and it leaves the rest of the company, the rest of the organization, the church. Gone are the days with the value of sticking in one place with one job and proving yourself over a period of time that you are both dependable and anchored. Gone are those days. So we need to think carefully of what it means to find joy in our workplace and one of the ways is to do is to hang out with the experts that's a very nice way of saying stay in the shadow of those who are really good at what they do so that you become like them over a long period of time moving on number three improve your relationships everybody goes to work you don't work alone until unless you're some like i don't know high tension wire fixer or something you're way up in the thing and you're doing your thing on your own and don't have a team but for the most part, we have relationships at work. And if we don't fix those relationships, if we don't improve those relationships, if you don't invest in those relationships, you will not experience joy at the workplace because 80% of success at the workplace, even management gurus will tell you that, is success, is relationships at the workplace. 80% success at the workplace is people, relationships. And if you can't make those relationships work, you're going to not experience that joy. Paul and Epaphroditus, moving on to verse 25. 
Paul and Epaphroditus. What a wonderful working relationship. Remember that Timothy was another pastor. He was a younger pastor coming to work in ministry. But Epaphroditus was a layman. He was sent to work for Paul and with Paul. Okay, The church had sent him there as an assistant to work with him more administratively as a help. And Epaphroditus was willing to do that. He was willing to go to Rome. Now you need to understand, Paul is in Rome as a prisoner. How many people want to go be his assistant? How many people want to be associated with a criminal, a traitor? Someone who's being charged for treason. Someone who's being charged uh, for, uh, to, for being a renegade. How many want to associate with him publicly? Doesn't happen too easily. And Epaphroditus was willing to do that. So you're beginning to see the depth of the relationship. Why he would be willing to do that, the secret would probably be found in the relationship itself. In the, in the dynamic of that relationship itself. Paul and Epaphroditus. Paul and Epaphroditus developed the greatest of relationships. It's expressed in one of the verses in chapter 2. He says, I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. I love those three. Look at how he gives a recommendation for Epaphroditus. How he talks about the person who's working for him as a subordinate. Look at that. A brother. That means he had the concern of a brother. We're talking about Epaphroditus. He had the concern of a brother for Paul. There was that, there was that relationship of willingness to think about his interests more than his own. A fellow worker. He not only worked hard. Paul not only worked hard, Epaphroditus also worked hard. Isn't it great to work with people who also work hard? If you are the two in the five of the team that is hardworking, you two are hardworking and the other three just drag their feet. They drag. Every team's got those, huh? Every team's got three out of, two, uh, out of five that just drag their feet and ride on the success and the hard work of the others. You know how that feels. But Paul talks about Epaphroditus as someone who also works hard. He also works hard. He says he's a, uh, uh, he's a fellow worker. He puts in the effort of a laborer. And I like, I like the third one. He says a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier. He has the fight of a soldier. He has the willingness to stick in there with Paul. No matter how things go. Thick or thin. And it's wonderful to have people with you who won't jump ship. The moment somebody rocks the boat. The moment we see a storm, we get into rough waters. It's great to have people with you who will be with you right through when it's calm and when it's in the storm. I've had both types of people and the joy and the depth of relationships that, that are with those who have been with me through thick and thin is completely and totally different. Completely different. So here at the workplace, we want to see relationships that are improved constantly because of these three things. Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. Okay, are you with me? Yeah? I can see you thinking. You're already at your workplace. You're already going to change things tomorrow morning. Nine o'clock. There you go. Number four. Respect your leaders. Respect your leaders. To translate the word leader, the translated word for the leader is boss. Your boss. I know you don't like that, but that's how it translates. He's your boss. Your boss is your leader. Not necessarily. I don't, I'm not asking you to respect his lifestyle or her lifestyle. I'm not asking you to respect the leadership style, but must respect, we must respect the position. 
the position. Because God gives people over us. God gives positions over us. God puts us in subordination so that we may learn what it's like to submit. And remember this, all authority flows from God's throne. All authority. All authority flows. Even the most corrupt people, even the most corrupt positions, the authority flows from that. They will be accountable to God in the end, but authority itself flows from the throne of God. So when you respect authority, you're respecting God. You're saying, yeah, but if you respect authority and these people, they'll take advantage, they'll walk all over you. They were saying it never works in the system. You don't understand the system. You don't understand the culture. No. What I am saying is I understand how God works. And when God is tracking you, he's tracking your movements, he's tracking your attitude, he's tracking your hard work. He is the one who, who will ultimately decide. So when you say, I'm going to respect this boss because God is my boss, then God will come through for you eventually on that. That's where faith comes into play. But we've got to respond, we've got to submit we've got to respect our superiors our bosses two things you can do for your boss two things you can do for your boss number one you can maximize his potential their potential you can minimize their anxiety you can maximize their potential minimize them make it make it a joy <laughs> to work for them let me put it this way on monday morning when you show up to work is your boss thrilled to see you mm-hmm are you a joy to work with? Is it, is it, is it, does you, do you put a smile on his face? Do you make him glad? Do you make him look good or her? Do you make her look good? Why is this important? You're thinking, some of you are thinking, no, if I make my boss look good, if I work for his pleasure or her pleasure, then eventually they're going to take all the credit. It may seem like that for a period of time, but I can tell you from this pulpit, your real boss is watching and tracking watching and tracking and your real boss is saying seeing how you're working for him as well as for your earthly boss your real boss in heaven is is looking and assessing your true spirit of submission you maximize their potential he says Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him that when you see him again, you may be glad. And he says and I, that I might have less anxiety, that I might have less anxiety. So he's sending him away so that he might have less anxiety in that sense because he knows he'll be taken care of. He knows he'll be taken care of. I know people who love to make it difficult for their bosses. And uh, the more anxiety you can give to them the more strife you can give to them we try and do that and you and your argument is they, they give me so much problem why should i make it easy for them they're all constantly off my on my back why should i make it easy for them we move into a gandhian non-cooperation movement <laughs> we're like nothing he's not going to get anything out of me uh that's that's not very christ-like that's not christ-like that will eventually, by the way, hit, go into strikes and that kind of mentality. That's not Christ-like. Let me put it a different way. The way to minimize their anxiety is to get your boss's boss off your boss's back. Got that? Get your boss's boss off your 
bosses back. That how, that's how you minimize their anxiety. By doing a good job, by listening, by submitting. Again, the only way you can do this and the only reason why you can do this is because you are a believer in God's bossness over the whole world. You really and truly believe that at ultimately at the end of the day, God is in control. But when you take things into your own hand, you're actually saying what I truly believe is God is not completely in control or he doesn't have my best interests in mind. Moving on, moving on. Last one. Honor those who work well. We talked about how we can work with our bosses, our leaders, how we could help them by maximizing their potential, minimizing their anxiety. Now also let's talk about those who are subordinate to us. Because most of you, many of you in this audience today also have inferiors to you. You have people working under you. You have people reporting to you. Many of you are CEOs or you are leaders of your organizations and you hold high positions. So we also, everyone over here has somebody reporting to them. Even if you are uh, at home and you're looking after the home and it's not an employee uh, organized situation, you still have the maid. You still have the maid who is half an hour late, by the way. Are you with me? So we've always got somebody who we can exercise these principles with. Number five, honor those who work well. Two things you can do for workers, for people who are working under you. Number one, you can recognize them. And number two, you can reward them. Number one, you can recognize them. You recognize people with your words and you reward people with your actions. Number one, you can recognize them. Look at verse 25. He is also your messenger whom you sent back to care for my needs. He's telling the Philippian church, he says, you sent him, you've paid him, you've supported him to do his work. He's done a great job. He's done a fantastic job. And he's your messenger. You, I'm sending him back to you because you sent him to me to take care of him. There's a formal written recognition of his work. A formal written recognition of his work. He recognized Epaphroditus. Listen, if Paul didn't say anything about, about Epaphroditus, you wouldn't be talking about him today, much less pronouncing, pronouncing his name. Did you get that? His name wouldn't be here if Paul hadn't recognized him. He's a nobody. He's a nobody. And we live in a culture where we don't want to recognize we don't want to recognize. We, we live in a culture that's a shame culture, primarily for those of you who have grown up in India. So here's how it works. When you do well, you don't hear anything. When you don't do well, you goof up, you botch it up, you hear lots. So what do you want to hear? From your boss, what do you want to hear? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing is... Good. Every office, every organization seems to work like that in our culture. And we are scared. Today there's a lot of new influence from all over the place and people are beginning to read books and all that. So we're beginning to see some changes in management and leadership. Well, not sure. Fantastic. Clap hands. But for the most part, as a culture deep within, rooted in us is if they do well, of course they should do well. 85%, 90%, of course. You should do well. But if he gets 60%, you'll hear about it. You'll hear about it. So there's silence on both ends. If you get 30%, you're not going to hear anything. If you get 80%, you're not going to hear anything. So you never know how well you're done. Why are we like that? Why, why can't we recognize people? 
Here's the fear. If we say something good for about them, it will go to their head. Especially the maid. You don't want that. You don't want that to happen. If you say something good, then you don't have to keep saying something good. And we don't want to recognize in words, lift the person up, give the person the due respect that they have done well. They have done well. That mentality is a very worldly mentality and a very, it's, it's not Christ-like at all. Where you say, if you did your job, you should have done your job. What am I paying you for? Huh? Huh? I'm paying you. That's what I'm paying. Let him do his job. But if he hasn't done his work well, then so now. They're going to they're get a year full about how they missed the mark. Paul sets a principle here for those under your care, for those working for you, no matter who it is, whether it's the maid or the driver or a subordinate or an assistant or your office colleagues. It doesn't matter who is reporting to you. When you recognize, you give them value. You give them value. And in verse 30, he says, how? He says, how? Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. He has stood in the place of helping me on, on behalf of all of you at the, back at the Philippian church. That's incredible. That's incredible. So you can recognize them with your words and then you can reward them with your actions. Words are not sufficient. Reward, reward them with your actions. You recognize people with your words. Reward them with their actions. Paul rewarded Epaphroditus. He said this. Epaphroditus is ill. He's writing to the Philippians. He's, he's ill. And I want to send him back home. Listen very carefully. He's homesick. No, he didn't have to do that. Paul didn't have to do that. He's here to work. He's here on a contract. He's here to get the job done. Now, if I send Epaphroditus home, I'm getting used to this word. By, by tonight, I'll be, it'll flow off my tongue. If I send Epaphroditus home, then I'm going to be all alone. Philippines already have a lot of people over there. They already, they're fine. They don't need him. I'm the one who needs him. I'm the one who has threats on my, on my uh, just around the corner. I'm the one who's in chains. I'm the one who's desperate. I'm the one who, and I need his help. He needs to be here with me, working with me. But when you reward somebody saying, no, he's got family. He's got friends. He's homesick. He's not doing too well. You look at, look at his, his, his health welfare. You look at his relational health uh, welfare. You look at his life, that he might have a life outside of serving you. Oh. Did you hear that? He might have a life outside this job. That's when we reward people saying, you know what? Take it off. Take off. You go. You go. You take a week off. Go. Have fun. Enjoy. Get some rest. Take care of yourself. Be back. You've done a good job. You've done a good job. He says that. He says that very clearly. He says, because he has served Christ well. Because of the service that he's had to Christ. This is a selfless act on Paul's part. And you and I as people who have those under us, who report to us, we need to care for them by rewarding them and showing that they have in fact worked well. They have in fact worked well. Let me close by saying this. God loves work. God loves work. Work is something that God created. He loves work. He loves creating stuff. He loves making it happen. He loves signing the deal. He loves making new things. He loves creating. He loves building. He loves multiplying. God loves that. 
He's into that business. He's best at it. You take any career, he's best at it. And he's, he's put you there. And he wants you to do well. And he wants you to find joy in your work. You're saying, oh no, but you know, work came under the curse and God said that now the sweat of your brow and the toil and the blood and all that. Now you never enjoy work and now you have to come home and then you're related out on your wife and kids. That's how God wants it. But the scripture also says anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old things are passed away. All things become new. God loves work. He loves to see you do well. And he love, when you're creative, when you're doing well, both in relationships and the output of your work, you best reflect him. You best reflect him. And God is committed. Many people in India are in their careers because their mom and daddy wanted them to be. So they're not really in their best fit. And they're struggling with that. And they'll eventually come for counseling. But... No matter what you're doing, God can give you expertise. God can give you success. And he wants you to do that. But when you put certain kingdom principles, Christ-like principles into place, then God will release joy into your life, even at your workplace. It doesn't have to be such a drain on your joy. Look at these two verses. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Your boss says, whatever you do, put your brains into it. Isn't that what your boss says? Yeah? Your superiors, that's why put your brains into it. What does God say? Whatever you do, put your heart into it. As working for the Lord. Ah, that's, that's difficult. Pastor Jeremy is working in the church. It's very easy for us to think of Pastor Jeremy as working for the Lord because he's working in the church. But I'm working for Alliance. I am working for Coke. I am working for the government of India. I am working for Monster.com. <laughs> it's very hard as I walk into this place with the calendars all around me and the pictures and the smoke and the language and the, and the ethos and the, just the, the ethics and the, just the whole feel environment. It's very hard for me to see this place and me as working for the Lord. That's where it comes back to your personal walk with him and your understanding that there isn't a workplace in the world where God is not boss and where you take God to work and you begin to see transformation. I'll close with this verse. God is fair. He will not forget the work you did and the love you showed for him by helping his people. He will remember that you are still helping them. Look at the first three words. God is fair. Keep that in mind. And then look at these two things. He will not and he will. Two things. He will not and he will. He will not forget the work you did. God is keeping track. God is keeping track. And number two, he will remember that you are still helping. He will not forget. He will remember. That's a double uh, affirmation right there. God has a track on your work. He has a track on your work effort and he enjoys going to work with you every day and wants to see joy in your life through your work. Joy on the job. Hi, 
I'm Jeremy Dawson. And if you liked what you just saw, if it was a blessing, then hit the subscribe button. Come on, you can do it. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, hit the bell so that we know you want to hear from us. Lots of videos coming your way. Songs, worship, encouragement. Come on, subscribe. Let's take this forward and share with somebody you might know. Write a comment in the section below. But let's see you guys again. Come on, subscribe.